Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, Christ Church. How are you doing? Good. Hey, good morning to all those of you joining us online. My name is Drake Holderman. I get the joy of serving as one of the student ministers here at Christ Church. Uh, picture this with me, if you will. God's people gathered together using one voice to glorify him. Uh, you read or you heard the kids read the story from the kids storybook Bible. We're going to jump into the adult storybook Bible real quick from Genesis chapter 11. It says, now the whole world had one language in a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. This was quality construction. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Do you see the opportunity that they had? They all had the ability to speak to one another and understand one another. Think about what they could have done for God's glory. And yet their decision was this, let's make a name for ourselves. This is the beginning of the Tower of Babel story. The Tower of Babel is one of the prominent hallmark dramas of the Old Testament, right up there with the flood and Jonah in the big fish and Daniel in the lion's den. Between them all stands this tower that reaches to the heavens and then a dispersion of people and a multitude of languages. It's an interesting story to say the least. I sense the need this morning to make clear why it's in the Bible. In fact, I actually asked the, some of our high school students why they think this story is in the Bible. And Silas said, In this story, humans are trying to make a name for themselves by making this tower to reach to heaven. But in Christianity, we are supposed to live lives dedicated to Jesus. We can't make a name for ourselves. So Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, chapter 11, verse 7 says us. He has a Trinitarian understanding of God. That's a Christ Church student's baby. Come on. Uh, go down to the city they named Babel and split it into different languages to demobilize them. I think this is important because right after that, God asked Abram to sacrifice Isaac, which we all know the story. And then through Abraham, Jesus is born, allowing us into his family. Olivia said, I think this story is included in the Bible because this is one example of humanity trying to become God or in the position of ultimate power. It then shows God who cannot be replaced, creating confusion amongst the people. This is an example of for us to live our lives as servants to the Lord instead of trying to make ourselves equal. Trying to become God or Lord over your own life will inevitably cause confusion and chaos. Amen. These guys are right. And before you fire me to hire them, let me tell, tell you why I think the story is in the Bible. The Tower of Babel story is in the Bible, not to impress us with an architectural structure. It probably wouldn't have been the tallest building in Joplin. It's not a study in linguistics and how languages were formed. This story is in the Bible for one reason, to remind us of humanity's failing glory and God's forever glory. Now, why this story in the middle of our Christmas series entitled God Came Down? For this reason. We live in a world that tries to find glory by elevating itself above other people. But we find our glory in the God who came down, born as a virgin, crucified as a criminal, and now reigning as the king of heaven. We find our glory in being known and loved by him. 
Gentlemen, by a show of hands, how many of you in the room grew up uh, wrestling against your dad or your grandpa or an uncle, testing your strength against sins? Let me see your hands. All right, very good. That's awesome. Uh, ladies, by a show of hands, how many of you had to replace a household item because the boys in your house thought they were WWE wrestlers by a show of hands? All right, I'm sure of it. When I was growing up, my family had what we call a formal dining room, but there was nothing formal about our family, and there wasn't a dining table in the room. The builder had put carpet in there, which didn't make much sense to me because one spilled the spaghetti and the things ruined. So my brother and I, we co-opted this dining room and made it our wrestling arena, and we spent hours in there beating up on one another, trying to beat one another in a wrestling match. And on occasion, my dad would step into our wrestling arena, and then the goal shifted from trying to beat each other to trying to beat dad, because that's always the goal, right? to be dad. And gentlemen, one more time by a show of hands, who remembers the first time they beat their dad in a wrestling match? Okay, some of you are liars. Um, But I remember the first time I beat my dad. I was a sophomore in high school. I pinned him and I took my shirt off and ran around the neighborhood hooting and hollering. I sat down at dinner that night. I sat at the head of the table because the glory was mine. And then he approached me and said, pay the bills or get out of my seat. And so I moved to the other chair that was mine before that night. Our topic of conversation today is glory. God came down bringing glory. In, in the Bible, the word glory is a word that denotes a certain weight or worthiness. Our glory is our reputation. And in my mind in that moment, my glory was greater than my dad's glory, at least when it came to physical strength, for I had proven myself against him. Legos are fun. Most of us grew up playing with these in the living room or in a bedroom, on the floor, building all kinds of structures from a box like this that gives you the freedom to build whatever you want to boxes provided with the necessary elements to build a specific structure. These are fun. When you're playing with them on the floor, your house, creating innocently. But as we grow up, these take on a more proverbial meaning and we start to build towers for ourselves, trying to make a name for ourselves. I mean, we see our our friends and the towers that they're building with their lives. and Wow, that's impressive. I want to make a name for myself. Some of us have done this with our finances. We bought a house we couldn't afford and a car we couldn't afford and we're swimming in debt to impress people who really don't care all that much about us. And this is Christmas season is a tough one too. You want to be the best gift giver in the family. You want to impress people and give good quality gifts and so you rack up a credit card debt you won't be able to pay back anytime soon all to impress people with what you're able to afford. I sound a little bit too much like Dave Ramsey right now, so let me move on. What about family? Any of you ever posted a photo on Facebook, a beautiful family picture that shows everybody else how good your family is? When behind the camera is a scene of chaos and confusion. And we post these pictures and we're slave to the scroll of likes and comments also that other people who we really don't even know that well will think well of us. When all we really need in a moment like that is just a good friend to sit down, we can trust and say, hey, my family tower is just upside down right now and I need to tell somebody. What about the people you hang out with? Now, I'm not gonna stand up here and say we should isolate ourselves from non-believers and non-Christians. Like, no, I hang out with Michael DeFazio all the time. I'm not gonna say something like that. I'm just saying that some of us, he's a Christian, He's a Christian, don't worry. I'm going to say that some of us spend our lives seeking to be around people who look cool. I want to speak to college students for a second. College is such an interesting time in life. You leave, uh, some of you leave the, the home that you grew up in and the family that you have back home and your friends, or some of you even stay here locally, but you are now with a new group of people in 
college is this weird melting pot of 18 to 22-year-olds. And one of the biggest questions you ask, you're asking yourself in college is this, who am I going to hang out with? And sure, the guy who's partying on the weekends and gets all the girls might seem to be a likable homie to hang with, but don't sell your soul to get the reputation of somebody who barely even knows you. I just see so many people who love Jesus swayed from the cross to find a reputation or a status within certain social groups. And all the while, they're losing a peace that surpasses all understanding for, for, from living a life with the crucified Savior. I can't throw, stand up here and throw stones. I've struggled with the same thing as well. I'm trying to make a name for myself. I'm one of the high school ministers, and one of my primary responsibilities is to stand up on stage and preach to high school students. And I've been with the current high school students since they were in fifth through eighth grade, and they keep me humble. I don't struggle uh, in my current position with trying to make a name for myself when I hop up on a stage here at Christ Church to, to preach because the fifth or the ninth through twelfth grade students, they keep me humble. Like, I will preach on a Wednesday night, and they'll be like, oh, we've heard you do better. And it's like, okay, I didn't ask you, all right? You're like, hey. You can make this point a little bit. Like, nobody cares what you think, all right? So they keep me humble. But on occasion, I get to go and preach elsewhere. Uh, many of you know Scott Insminger, who's one of the ministers here on our staff. He also leads a uh, youth conference called Nationwide Youth Roundup, or NYR for short. And Scott has been kind enough and foolish enough to invite me to come preach the past few summers uh, out at NYR. And the, the setting at NYR is absolutely beautiful. It's like the best worship center I've ever been in. You're sitting in a valley, and all around you are mountains, and it smells like pine tree. It's just absolutely beautiful in the mountain air. One night, I'm sitting there with my wife, Andrea, and we're we're watching the service, and my friend Josh is up there on stage, and he's leading worship. He's doing great. And then the preacher gets up on stage, and I'm super excited about this because this guy who is preaching, I heard him preach when I was in junior high, and he is literally uh, one of, if not the best, no exaggeration, best preachers I've ever heard to students. The guy is good. And if I said his name right now, most of you would recognize his name. But if I said his name right now, you might start thinking, I wish he was here instead of Drake, so I'm not going to say his name. But he starts preaching and everybody gets locked into the sermon. He's preaching passionately about how God sent his son to the world and we can live eternal life through him. And we should place our trust and our faith in him. And his points are convincing. His, his, his illustrations are powerful. And he preached for an hour in junior high and high school students were locked in. Nobody can do that. Like God's glory was shining down in the valley that night. I was like, I might become a Christian again. Me and DeFazio become Christians again, you know? And then the, later that night, the MC gets up on stage and makes an announcement that hit me like a ton of rocks. Tomorrow night, Drake Holderman's going to be preaching. I thought, why'd you laugh? <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, no. Oh, no. And for the first time since I began to preach the gospel, um, I went back to the lodge, and people were over there playing board games, and there was Drake Holderman sitting by himself uh, thinking about how he was going to impress people uh, with the words that he said the next night. And I'm grateful for older, godlier, wiser men in my life who saw me in some sort of stress mode and came up to me and preached and said, that was a good sermon, wasn't it? I said, yeah, really good sermon. And they said, quit stressing about it. Preach the sermon for the reason you first wrote it. It's a glorify God and to help other people. This is not about you. We're in good company for the wrong reason. Do you know the only thing that the disciples ever argued about? which of them was or would be the greatest. This is why Jesus, when he first offered people the invitation to follow him, he said this first. Before he said, pick up your cross and follow me, he said this, you must deny yourself. Because the lust of power has permeated the human heart. We want to glorify ourselves 
And we build proverbial towers to do so, saying, look at me. When I was growing up, I lived, I was fortunate enough to live by both sets of my grandparents. And I would go to my grandparents' homes, and when I would get there, I'd first greet my grandma, and she would give me a hug and maybe a kiss on the cheek, which embarrassed me. And then I'd go over and I'd, and, and I'd shake my grandfather's hand. Both of them uh, were very strong men. They worked with their hands. One played college football at OU, but go Pokes. And um, the other was a boxer when he was in the Navy. And they had strong, manly hands. And I would shake their hands as a young boy. And I remember squeezing it as hard as I possibly could. And then they would grip my hand and squeeze it. And eventually I'd have to say, mercy, 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 and give up. I remember the first time, it was also in high school, uh, when I shook my grandfather's hand and I didn't have to say mercy. Now, he didn't say mercy. He would never do that. We just shook hands for a few moments and we realized that my strength had grown. Furthermore, I remember when I was in college and I went back home and I, I shook my grandfather's hand for the first time and I felt his failing strength. It wasn't just that my strength had grown, it was that his strength was failing him. I had surgery in June on my ACL and afterward I had to go and do therapy and I would go most of the time in the morning before work. And the morning crowd at physical therapy was, uh, they were a little bit older, many members of the AARP, if you know what I'm saying. And I would sit there in the waiting room and talk with the other people. And I talked to one lady and she told me when she was younger, she was a ballet dancer. And I just imagined her in my mind uh, dancing ever so gracefully. And then later that morning in the exercise area, uh, I saw her having to be held up with a belt as she walked with her therapist. Another gentleman would always wear his Vietnam veteran hat. I imagined him, a, a young man, strong, sturdy, quick to action. And he had to be lifted from his wheelchair onto the table. Do you know where your name is most likely to end up? On a tombstone. And I know that's somber, but it's purposeful. Man's glory will fail, but God's glory will last forever. For he holds the name that is above every other name. Story of Babel uh, continues in verse 5, the consequence. It says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And I want to address attention here in the scripture because it seems like when reading this story that God might be getting nervous. Like it's relatively easy to jump to the conclusion that God senses his glory being threatened. I mean, if they can do this, nothing will be impossible for them to do. And no, God is not concerned about his glory or being dethroned. What God is concerned about in this story is their souls. Like they're destroying their souls. Let me, let me exchange Tower of Babel for, for a few different words. Envy, pride, selfishness, vanity, sin that destroys soul. God is concerned for this, and they're sinning on such a magnitude that it's destroying themselves, these people with greedy, selfish hearts. If they can do this, think about the other sin they could do to destroy themselves. And so God had to do something. Those of you who are parents know that if you love your child, there are actions that you have to take against your child that might hurt them in the short term, but are ultimately good for them in the long. And so God comes up with this, 
this idea to curb their ability to sin that is so interesting to me. And it reminds me of a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. Because if I'm God in this scenario, I don't know what I would have done, but I'm not sure that I would have done this, but it ultimately it worked. He confused their language. Such an odd thing to do to make neighbor and friend not understand one another, but it was an act of grace that curbed their ability to sin in the way that they had been sinning. After he confuses their language, he scatters them. In verse 8, So the Lord scattered them there from over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Why does God do this? Why does God scatter them? It might be another preventative measure to keep them from sinning on the same magnitude that they had been sinning. But I also think it's because this was plan A. In Genesis chapter 9, God is speaking to Noah and his sons right after the flood. And he says to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Not for your own glory, but for mine. And what do they do? The people decide to make their own decisions rather than obey God's command. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, I'll read it again. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And what could have been a scene of glad obedience turns into a scene of painful consequence. And you see again, ever so clearly, the failing of man's glory. I don't want you to look at the story of Babel and come to the conclusion that God doesn't love people. Oh, God loves people a lot. So much so that he would come down to see what is going on in their lives. And, and when he came down and he saw it was a mess, it's a theme in scripture, God will come down and when he finds his people, he almost always finds them in a mess, not doing what they're supposed to be doing and doing what they're not supposed to be doing. This is a theme in scripture. And thousands of years later, God would once again come down, this time born from a virgin as a baby. How insulting to the glory of man that our Savior would be a baby. Have you ever met a baby? I imagine the scene in Scripture a little bit like this. The shepherds are out in the field, and the angel comes and says, Today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The shepherds ask a question, how will we know the Messiah when we see him? And this is my creative liberty part. I like to think that in the back of their mind, are they going, will he be tall and strong like King Saul was? Or will he be poetic and talented and a good leader like King David was? And the angel replies, you will find him wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. He's a baby. Now, my son is six months old, and I, I want you to know from the outset of this, I love my son a lot. Like, this is actually a couple big weeks coming up in our life. We get to finalize the adoption of our son, which we're super excited about. And to celebrate, we're going to throw a party with our family. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but my wife has got some decorations, and then I purchased one decoration. The decoration I purchased to celebrate my son, because I love him so much, is a giant fat head of his face that I cut out on styrofoam. It's basically a huge picture of Willie's face. I'm pretty excited about it. And as much as I love my son, I would be insulted if somebody told me he will be your savior. Like my son, the kid whose resume is pretty unimpressive. Like he can't do a whole lot. You know what my son can do? He can drool and slobber all over the place with the best of them. 
But to suggest that this baby is going to be the savior of the world? No. This is another tangent. Do you think that baby Jesus ever slept through the night? Like how long, like how long do you think it took him? Do you think that like Joseph ever like accidentally silenced the monitor in the middle of the night and then got scorned by Mary in the morning? Or is that just like, I'm asking for a friend. I just need to know. I suppose things would get better, though. This young baby would grow up, and about age 30, the same age as King David was when he became king of Israel, he's entering Jerusalem, the city of the great king, and the people are shouting, Hosanna! (laughs) The king is coming. By the end of the week, he'd be hanging on a cross, a crucified criminal. How insulting to the glory of man that our Savior would be a crucified criminal. This sermon series is called God Came Down. I want to I point something out about a moment in history where God refused to come down, at least of his own volition. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and the people there are mocking him. So you're the son of God, are you? Why don't you save yourself and come down from that cross? And he refused. He would have to be taken down, his dead body taken down and placed into a tomb. And it's in this moment in history where God refused to come down, where we actually find the reversal of the consequence of Babel. God came down at Babel and he found them in a mess and in an act of grace, he scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And this time where he refused to come down, he began the process of restoring all things back to him. And and God came down at Babel. He came down 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin. And God will come down again to regather his people. Revelation chapter 7, the apostle John is receiving a vision from Jesus. And he shows us what Jesus showed him. He says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. And for what is the purpose to which they are gathered? I'll tell you this. It's not for their own glory. Not a soul in the worship service of heaven will be concerned about their financial status in front of other people, about how good their family looks on social media, or about how the people they hang out may give them a good reputation. There's going to be no concern about that. Do you see the posture of the people in heaven? They are bowing down because the only concern in the worship service of heaven is the celebration of our God in his glory in the highest. That will be our concern forevermore. Who's invited to this worship service in heaven? Who's invited to come and to celebrate God's glory? It's anyone who would be willing to do what Jesus told us to do. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. So I'd like to invite you in to do what Jesus invited us to do. I want to invite you to repent this morning of tower building. Like maybe you've been trying to impress people in this area of your life, but that area of your life, 
Repent of it. Confess it to God and then confess it to your Christian friends. This is what I've been doing with my life. It's a sin. And secondly, I'd like to invite you to rest in God's glory, which is where we ultimately find our glory because we find our glory, meaning our worth, our reputation, in being known and loved by him. I am a son of God, and that is all I need. So I'd like to invite you to rest in that. If you're in this room today and you'd like to talk to a pastor, you can do so out in the lobby. If you're online and you'd like to talk to a pastor, you can request prayer at the request prayer tab in the service online. But I'd like to invite you to repent and to rest because this is what we need. In the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season, let's remember why it's even Christmas. Because God, in his great love for us, sent his son to die. But before he died, he was born. And we're celebrating that, that God loved us so much. He was born of a virgin. He would live his life, be crucified as a criminal. But now he is reigning as the king of heaven. And we get to stand and rest in knowing that our glory is found in being known and loved by him. That is who we are. That is the promise he has given us. So this morning, would you stand with me and rest and sing glory to God in the highest for he is to whom we belong. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.